Thanks, guys. All right, we're going to spend some time looking at the scriptures together now. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to meet you if you get a chance to say hello. Uh, We're in the book of Genesis right now. We're at the end of Genesis and the Joseph stories. And the theme for these Joseph stories is God's purposes in a dysfunctional world. And so this means it has immediate application for you and for me because we also live in this dysfunctional world and we are seeking God's purposes. God What are you up to? And we'll see this again and again in the Joseph stories. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to chapter 41. We'll be in chapter 41 this week. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the black Bibles under the chairs and turn to page 33. Um, 33 in the black Bibles, it's Genesis chapter 41. We're calling it today, Stay Prepared. Stay Prepared. Um, There's this little ending section in Matthew that talks about a similar theme. So we're going to look at Genesis 41 today, so don't turn to Matthew. Uh, But I want to draw the connection to what Jesus says at the end of Matthew. See, Jesus is about to leave and go to heaven. He's going to raise up to sit at the Father's right hand. And he's explaining to his disciples at the end of of Matthew 24 and then into chapter 25 that when he's gone, we're going to feel like he has abandoned us. I don't know if you ever feel like that. Sometimes I I feel abandoned. I feel alone. And Jesus gives three parables, and he says, I want you to stay ready. I want you to stay alert. And I want you to stay prepared. And in these three parables that Jesus gives, right after talking about the end times, he says, basically, here's my paraphrase, that we obsess way too much over the signs of the end of the world And we need to focus more on our own personal faithfulness, alertness, and staying prepared. So he gives three parables. One parable is about a servant who starts taking advantage of the other servants because he believes his master is never coming back. And so what this means is in our life, when we feel like God is just gone, he's out of the picture, we're going to be tempted to take advantage of the people around us. And then he shares another parable. It's, it's a little weirder. It's about a wedding party. And so that one requires more translation because we don't do wedding parties the way they did in the first century. But the summary is this, that some people are eager and waiting for the groom to arrive so that the party can start. And others just don't care and feel like he's never coming back. He's abandoned us. And those ones will miss out on the party. And he he shares this last parable. It's called the parable of the talents, probably one you've heard before, where this master gives differing amounts of talents of silver, right? He gives resources to people, and a couple of them invest those resources and make more return, and then the master's pleased because they've invested their talents. But one says, I refuse to invest the talents you gave me because I knew that you are a harsh, unfair master that takes what doesn't belong to you. And so that one misses out on the master's joy as well. Because what he's begun to believe is that the master is not gracious, the master is not generous, the master doesn't care. So what Jesus is saying in these three parables is that what we need to do is we need to stay prepared by trusting that God has not abandoned us, that he is with us. And we see this lived out in the life of Joseph. Joseph is going through these hard trials again and again and Joseph models for us what it looks like to trust that God is still with him that God has not abandoned him so that's the beauty of these Joseph stories now I'm going to apologize a little bit here kind of sorry not sorry thing because 
you're going to get a lot of repetition. It's going to sound like I'm saying a lot of the same things that I've said the last couple of weeks. And the reason for that is because I'm going to be saying a lot of the same things that I've said the last two weeks, okay? And that's because the Joseph stories are saying a lot of the same things over and over again. So that means we need to pay attention, right? Whenever the Bible repeats something, you're supposed to say, oh, I need to pay attention. You're not supposed to say, oh, I've heard that before, right? Like, oh, I think God wants me to pay attention to this, okay? So stay prepared, stay ready. Don't give up. Don't think, oh, he's abandoned me, so it doesn't matter, right? So we're going to read chapter 41. I'm going to start uh, actually the last verse of chapter 40. So if you're looking on your page, there's 41. Just back up one verse. Just kind of get the setting from last week. We remember he interpreted some dreams for the cupbearer and the baker. And it says in verse 23 of chapter 40, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. That's where we left off last week. You ever feel forgotten? Joseph was forgotten. Now, chapter 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke. And behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. No one could interpret these dreams. He's the greatest leader of the ancient world, and no one could help him out. Let me pray for us, and we'll ask the Lord to teach us today. God, we pray that you would speak through your word. We believe that you speak to us still today with the authority and relevance of Jesus when we open up your word and when we listen. Your Spirit can meet us here. Your Spirit can open our eyes. Your Spirit can help us to see you at work. And so we pray that your Spirit would be active and be working among us, that you would show us what you want us to see here, that you would teach us, that you would guide us. God, I pray for those who need their minds to be opened. God, help us to have open minds to you. Help us to not give up on you. I pray for those that are hurting, that you would comfort and encourage I pray for those that are longing to understand what you're doing, that you would give us your wisdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the big idea is to stay prepared. And the reason I'm framing it this way, those exact words don't appear in the story, but the idea is that it's been a long time. He's just been waiting and waiting. We keep seeing this repetition of Joseph being betrayed, Joseph being let down, Joseph being hurt. He gets thrown into a pit. He gets thrown into a prison. He becomes a slave. And so if you were in that situation, if I was in that situation, we would be tempted to just feel like, man, where's God? What is he doing? What is he up to here? I don't know if you've ever had this recurring nightmare. There's one that I have, uh, have had again and again. And actually, it's two different dreams I've had, which is fitting, right? Because everything in, in these stories is these double dreams that keep happening, right? So I keep having these two dreams throughout the years, and I don't have them as much as I used to have them. But one dream was that I was in a hurry, 
and I missed the bus. Makes me want to sing a, a 90s song. But anyway, I missed the bus, and then I'm hurrying to try to get to this football game, but I don't have my helmet, and I don't have my pads, and I've missed the bus. And basically what it is is it's a dream or a nightmare of not being prepared. Not being prepared. Any of you have dreams like that? Maybe it's not about football. Maybe it's about hockey. You know, maybe it's about something else, some other hobby you may have. There, there's this other dream I would have that was very similar, parallel, second dream. And it was, I went to the first day of class, I got the syllabus, and then for some reason I didn't show up for like 12 weeks. And then there was a very important exam. And it's just this like, ah, I'm not ready for this exam. You know, this fear and this anxiety bubbling up within me because I'm not prepared. I share those stories because I think those are pretty common. I think it's a pretty common nightmare that people have. I don't have the ones about tests and football as much anymore as I've gotten older. I tend to have them more about preaching now. You know, like I showed up to church and I'm not ready to preach a sermon, you know? Um, So for whatever it is for you, there, there are things in your life that maybe you worry about being prepared for. I shared the story about Jesus and the parables that he shared with his disciples because he's telling the disciples and we as followers of Jesus that this is going to be a temptation and a trial we're going to struggle with. That it's going to feel like a long time. And we're going to wonder if he's gone. We're going to think, man, this world is evil and broken and it's unjust. It's not right. Is God really up to something good? Where are you, God? We're, we're going to feel that. And he's challenging us to stay prepared. And what we're going to see in Joseph's life is, this is a great example. This is what it looks like to be prepared. So a couple of weeks ago, Joseph knew that God was with him. And I think that's essentially at the heart of all this, is if you believe that God is with you, you're going to stay prepared. If you believe that God is there, you're going to live that out. If you don't believe God is there, you're not going to live that out. And that's in the parables that Jesus shared in, in Matthew 24 and 25, but it's also, I believe, here in the Joseph stories. So three ways that we can prepare. One, we prepare for waiting. Secondly, we're going to see we prepare by working. And then thirdly, we prepare to speak up. We prepare to speak up, to testify to who God is. So first of all, let's look at the idea that we prepare for waiting. Again, this is a theme that we've seen again and again in Joseph's life. We saw in chapter 40, verse 23, that he was forgotten. He was forgotten. And then in chapter 41, it says, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed. And so we've got two whole years. The Hebrew phrase is after two years of days, which is the Hebrew idiom, right? It's like two whole years. That's why the English translation is just trying to emphasize the long and totality of this feeling of waiting. It was two years of days of waiting, day after day. It's a long time. Anybody remember the math I shared with you last week? How many years had Joseph already before this happened? How many years had he already been a slave in Potiphar's house and then a prison keeper in the prison? Y'all remember? It was, yeah, well, it's 13 total. It was 11 last week, and now after two whole years, it's 13 years. How many of you have been in like the worst job you've ever had for 13 years, right? Don't raise your hand, it's okay. Um, Your boss might be here. We don't want, you know, I could be bad. Sometimes we go through, yeah, Chris, don't say anything. Um, (laughs) The church is 13 years old, isn't it? Wow, okay. Okay. Sometimes we're in those spots where we're just like, we're like, how long is this going to go on? I grabbed a picture of someone watching the clock. I had a job um, years ago. I was working construction, and I worked a shovel, uh, literally just kind of like leveling 
ditches, for sewer pipes. Um, and so most of the time you were busy and the time went quick. But I remember one time we were waiting for a machine to show up for whatever reason. We couldn't do our work until the machine came and, and adjusted something. And I literally fell asleep on my shovel. You ever had a job like that? You're like, this is horrible. I'd rather be like sweating and groaning and working because the time's going to go fast. But when I'm just sitting there, it's like, it's like, what is happening? Like, what is the purpose, right? You feel this purposelessness. You feel this kind of like, why am I even here? And I'm sure there were long stretches for Joseph that felt that way. And what I want to encourage you with is that God's time doesn't work the way our time does, right? It's, it's not always going to line up. Second Peter 3.8 is a famous passage. A lot of you probably know that a thousand years is like a day to the Lord, right? Or a day for us is like a thousand years to the Lord. It's like it doesn't match up. The math doesn't add up. It doesn't work out in the same way for us that it does for God. God has this long view. And what we need to remember is that doesn't mean that God is gone. That doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It doesn't mean that God has given up on you, even if you're in that long season right now. You might be right in the middle of it. And if you are, I'm sorry, but I want to encourage you to hang on, to trust that God is still there, even in the waiting. Even in the waiting. And we see that modeled in Joseph. He, he stays prepared. We see no, no hint at all that, that Joseph has given up on God. Now, I don't think that doesn't mean Joseph cried, called out to God, you know, groaned, was stressed out about it. I'm sure he was. Because Romans 8 says we all groan. Romans 8 says all of creation is groaning and longing for God to finish what he started. And so if you feel that ache and that groan, the Apostle Paul is saying, you're right there with the rest of the world, groaning for God to finish what he started, longing for the sons of God to be revealed to the world. And so we're waiting for that, right? There's a sense in which our salvation is sure and complete now. If you trust in God, if you have offered yourself to him and said, God, will you forgive me? If you've seen that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you can trust that your sins are forgiven, and you are absolutely saved now. That is true now. But there's still this future renewal and perfection, heaven, all things being, being made right, every tear being wiped away, that has not happened yet. We have the down payment now. We have forgiveness. We have reconciliation with God. We know He loves us. We know we can trust Him. That is now, but we're still groaning and longing for Him to finish what He started. And that's right where Joseph was, and that's right where we are. So don't give up. My question for you is, what does it look like when you want to give up? Where does your heart go? I think there's a couple of different directions, just typically two big frameworks that we often go into when we feel like God has abandoned us and we're waiting too long. We don't know when God's going to show up again. One is we just run towards rebellion and pleasure and numbing the pain, right? That's the kind of non-religious route to go. We just party. We just try to ignore the pain. We just try to numb it all, do whatever we can to escape. That's one direction to go. And I think the other direction to go is kind of the religious, conservative direction where we're like, well, God's not going to fix it, so I guess I better fix it, right? We start to take the burden of the broken world on ourselves. We're like, well, I can't count on anybody else. They're out there numbing the pain, but I'm going to do what's right. Even if God's not going to show up, I'm going to still 
be faithful and we begin to think that we can carry that burden. I don't think either direction is right. I think we want to be faithful and do what we can and we don't want to rebel and just numb it all, but it's a faithfulness based on a hope in God. It's a faithfulness of trusting that He is coming and that He is at work and that He has not abandoned us. Colossians 4 describes what this looks like. It says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. So you're waiting. And you don't know when God's going to show up. You don't know when your circumstances are going to change. And Paul says in Colossians 4-5, make the best use of the time. Take advantage of the time. He says, walk with wisdom toward outsiders. Make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. What Paul's saying there in Colossians chapter 4 is that, yeah, it's going to be hard, but if you talk about grace, if your speech is seasoned with grace, seasoned with salt, if you're being gracious in the way you speak about who God is and what he's done in the world, then you're going to be reflecting the, the proper side of those parables, right? Those parables that Jesus gave when he was leaving his disciples was like, don't, don't be the servant that doesn't think I'm ever coming back and then you abuse the other servants. Be the good servant that trusts that I'm coming back. Don't be the person that's not ready to party at the wedding because you think it's never going to happen, but be ready to party and celebrate my return. Don't be the person that doesn't invest your talents because you think I'm unfair. Be the person that knows that I'm generous. So you're going to make the most of the time. You're going to take whatever I've given you and you're going to invest it because you trust that I'm gracious. Let your, let your words always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Make the best use of the time. The next thing we see is that we're to prepare by working. So again, it's another theme. We, we keep seeing these themes again and again in the life of Joseph. He continues to be faithful. He continues to trust that God is there. Chapter 39, chapter 40, chapter 39 specifically, we saw God, God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. And Joseph remembered that. And we saw that worked out in his faithfulness and his hard work. We talked also a couple of weeks ago about how work is actually God's plan for us. God built us for work. We often think if, if you grew up in Sunday school but aren't real familiar with everything the Bible says about work, we often think that work is a curse. That's not, not actually true. God made us for work and our work has been cursed by sin, right? So all of us see the effects of sin in our work, in our vocation, in our lives, but we're made for work. We're made to image God in our work and we see Joseph being faithful and because he's faithful, he has opportunities to be faithful in new ways, so let's go back again to the text. Look at verses 1 through 14. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Now I'm not going to go all the way back through um, this vision that he had, but he had two different dreams basically, and then next week we'll get into the interpretations of those. But in these dreams, they have some parallels, they have some differences, very troubling to Pharaoh. And we'll skip down to verse Eight, and it says, In the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Nobody could interpret it. We saw last week that this was a whole like school. This was, there were certifications. There was training. We found books in ancient Egypt. Right? Archaeologists have discovered all kinds of stuff about this. This was a big deal. They trained they studied, they knew how to interpret dreams, but they still couldn't do it. 
we see the greatest man in the world, the greatest leader that the world knew at this time, Pharaoh, the king over Egypt, powerless. We see him troubled. We see him needy. And because of Joseph's faithfulness in the little things, now Joseph's going to have an opportunity to be faithful with a bigger opportunity here. So keep reading, verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night. He and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him up out of the pit. And so now we have the cupbearer remembering. Oh, yeah, I had some dreams. Man, it was two years ago, (laughs) right? Like, he forgot him for two years. But now that Pharaoh is having these dreams, he's remembering. And again, we, ha- we have to trust that this is God's perfect timing. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you lived through the waiting and it was a long wait and it was painful and you tried to be faithful in it. And then finally, after years, you could, you could then look back and say, oh, now, now I can see how God worked all that out, right? Hindsight's always twenty twenty. You can look back and go, okay, now it makes sense. I can see what God was up to. Usually in the middle of it, it's a lot harder to see. It took two years and he finally remembered Joseph. He remembered him. He told Pharaoh about him. And then Pharaoh calls him up. What I want you to see is that God calls us to be faithful in the little things. This is the phrase that appears in the, the parables in, in Matthew 24 and 25. He says to, our, to servants, if you're faithful in a, a few things or little things, then I'll give you bigger things. I will give you more. So God wants you to see, to see you faithful in your work, in the opportunities that you are given by him, to invest the talents you have because you believe he's generous. To backwards engineer that, again, with the parable of the talents, why wouldn't you invest your talents? Why wouldn't you work hard? As it says in Colossians, working heartily unto the Lord instead of for men. Why wouldn't you do your work as if it's for God? Why wouldn't you do your work in such a way that, that God would be glorified? Well, the parable of the talents implies that the reason you would not do that, the reason you would not do excellent work is because you do not believe that God is gracious. You you do not believe the gospel. I know that that's hard. You might, maybe you're just in a season of forgetting or struggling. But at its most basic level, we're going to work well when we trust that God is gracious. And we're going to struggle to do good work if we don't believe God is gracious we believe he's harsh and he takes what doesn't belong to him where are you where is your heart with your work Matthew 5 16 we quoted a couple of weeks ago it's a famous verse it says um, to let your light shine before men that they would see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven are you letting your light shine are you doing good work are you doing your work in such a way that it's excellent and beautiful and people see it and go man I can see that God is at work Remember a couple of weeks ago we saw that in Joseph's life? It was clear that God was with him. Now the irony here in this story, right, is that the cupbearer remembers Joseph but doesn't remember that God gave the interpretation, right? Because remember when Joseph gave the interpretation to the cupbearer last week in chapter 40? He was like, it's, it's, uh, it's not me, it's God. 
God can do this. God can do anything, right? And he was pointing to God with his work. The cupbearer forgot that. And so this is an irony. Sometimes it takes a while, right? Our job is to be faithful, and then we leave the results to God. So this guy is just kind of vaguely remembering, oh, yeah, this guy, Joseph, this Hebrew helped me out. And then Joseph's going to have another opportunity to point them to God and say, no, it was God. God is the one that did it. And that's what we'll see in in the last section. So Matthew 5.16 says, basically, when we do good work, when we do good things, we're shining a light in a dark world. So the Bible doesn't pretend that we don't live in darkness. The Bible's not saying, oh, your life is great. Be happy. Your life is awesome. That's not what it's saying. It's saying because God is good and God loves you, you can help make this world a better place for others because you know the ultimate good of a God who gave his life for you on the cross. If you're a follower of him, if you trust in his graciousness, you know that the most ultimate problem in your life has been taken care of. The separation between you and God, that gap has been closed because Jesus died on the cross for your sins, because he gives you his resurrection life, because God delights in you through Christ. So if that gap has been closed, you're like, man, the ultimate, the ultimate issue has been settled. So I may be groaning and longing with the rest of creation for God to finish what he started, but because I know he loves me, I can love the people around me. Because I know Jesus served me, I can be the good servant that serves others instead of taking advantage of them. I can do my work that way. Because I know he delights in me, I can be ready to delight in him. Ready to party, to use the the wedding parable. Because I know he's generous, I can be generous with the talents I've been given and I can invest them in this world. How are you working? What are you doing with the circumstances you've been given? Are you tempted to be like, I'm a slave, so I don't need to do anything. This isn't fair. This is a terrible job. I didn't ask for this, right? That's what Joseph could have said. But Joseph shows us what Christ is like. Christ, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, we're told in Philippians 2, but he gave that up and he entered into our world. He moved into our rough neighborhood. He took on our sins. He gave us his life to show what is fundamentally true about God and the universe. God loves us in Christ. So are you living that out in your work? So as we, as we work faithfully, we'll have opportunities to testify more and more to God. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men so they'll see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Shine that light. Another great cross-reference for this is 1 Peter 3. The entire book of 1 Peter is about suffering. And in that entire book, all about suffering, it comes to this argument in chapter 3. And Peter says, you know what? When you suffer in this world, but you still have hope, people are going to ask you why. They're going to say, why are you so weird? Why do you have joy? Like, this world is terrible. I had some friends the other night that the, they were telling me, someone asked them if they were high because apparently they just seemed happy and joyful. And they're like, no, we just love Jesus, right? Um, we should be marked by an alien kind of joy, not because we're taking a controlled substance, but because the Holy Spirit is within us, right? So that's a type of substance, I guess, of some kind. There's, it's like this alien thing that's invaded our life. We have hope because we know that God is good. And we should be marked by that. We should look different. So in 1 Peter 3, Peter's like, so, so you're going to live life with joy, even in your suffering, even in this groaning, aching world. 
you're going to have hope and people are going to say, what is that about? You're going to have opportunities to testify to who God is because you've been faithful in this hard work. So that brings us to the last point. Prepare to speak up. Be ready. Be ready. Peter says, be ready to to give a defense for the hope that is within you. Uh, That word defense is the Greek word apologia. And so Christians, when they talk about the, the reasons we have for our faith, it's sometimes called apologetics. It's like giving a defense for something, explaining why our hope in Jesus makes sense. And what Peter is saying is be ready for that. You're going to have to have some hard conversations with people if you're going to be crazy enough to live with hope in this broken world. People are going to want to know, what, what is that about? What, why, why do you have hope? And so be ready to speak up. Be ready to testify to God. To point to him and not to yourself because here's the temptation, right? The temptation will be, well, you know, kept my nose clean and I'm kind of more responsible than most people and that's why I have hope in this world because I am so faithful. That's, that's not the answer, okay? The answer is God and his graciousness. Be prepared to give a defense for your hope and your hope is based in him and what he's done for us, not, not in our own faithfulness and strength. So let's look at Verse 14, so Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. When he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And so just pause there for for a minute. There's the literary echo. We keep seeing these and we kind of want to pay attention to this because this is story form. So when you're reading stories in the Bible, you need to read them like stories. And stories often have these repetitions and themes, right? And so a big theme in the Joseph stories are being thrown in a pit and having his robe stripped off, right? Being humiliated and cast down. And what's happening here? The story's turning. There's a great reversal. Similar to the great reversal we find in Christ. Because of our sin, we, we have shame, right? We feel naked. We feel ashamed. We're broken. We're cast down. We're living in a pit. But because Christ went down into the pit for us, because Christ was clothed with death, we can now be clothed in his righteousness. So we see now this reversal where Joseph is called up out of the pit and he's now got new clothes put on him and they're shaving him and they're cleaning him up. So this is a big pivot point in the stories. We're going to see a lot more next week, right? A lot more um, kind of exaltation happening, a lot more cool things happening for Joseph. Another little thing I want to focus on as we think about what it means to be prepared to speak up is I think it's important that we recognize there's always a distinction between what we say and how we're dressed, okay? This is kind of a metaphor here, but missionaries always have to distinguish between what are forms in the culture that I can take on that are just a part of the culture, right? I'm, I'm speaking to another people group. I'm speaking to a neighbor, to another person. I might eat their food. I might enjoy their music, I might dress like they dress, right? Like there are secondary things in culture and then there are primary things in culture. And as followers of God, as those who are prepared to speak up for who God is, we're we're all missionaries at some level. You may not be a missionary that's going to another country, but you are to testify to God's goodness. And so you have to do that missionary work of always trying to separate out, like what are the things that really matter and what are the things that, that aren't that big of a deal, right? In what ways can I meet people where they are and just embrace their culture and enjoy it and celebrate it? And in what ways do I have to stop and go, well, no, I, I can't do that because God forbids me to do that. But like I could, you know, I could shave, I could put on new clothes. Right? So, 
So here we see Joseph shaving. If, if you look at uh, ancient archaeology about Egypt, right, it was very important for the Pharaoh and for anybody in his court to be shaved. Whereas Middle Easterners like Joseph, they would wear long beards, right? So he's, he's changing some of his external traditions to blend in so that the message about God can be clear. Does that make sense? Now, of course, a lot of this is symbolic and metaphorical in this story because I'm guessing Joseph didn't have a choice, right? In this situation, I'm guessing, you know, he was in prison. They're like, all right, man, we're going to shave you and put some new clothes on you before you go to Pharaoh. But I think it points to this larger issue that we see played out in the rest of the Bible in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 17, right? Like Acts chapter 13, Paul is preaching to country people. And so when he's talking about God to the country people, he talks about rain and harvest and farming. And that's how he gets to the gospel. And then when Paul is talking to the intellectuals in Acts chapter 17 in Athens, he talks about philosophy and he quotes their poets and he talks about their great books. And so those are places where we're building a cultural bridge. We're meeting people where they are so that we can talk about God with them. It's not like we're, you know, it's not like Paul's tricking anybody or it's not like a missionary tricks anybody when he eats their food and wears their clothes. They still know he's an outsider, right? But you're just, you're just meeting people where they are, trying to build bridges, And this is a nice example of that, being prepared to speak up. So let's look at verse 15 then. He's brought into Pharaoh's presence. Verse 15, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it, right? So remember, Joseph was really clear with the cupbearer last week. Nope, it's not me, it's God. Cupbearer finally remembers him after two years. Hey, there's this dude that's got this special gift for interpreting. He's not remembering. It's not Joseph, it's God. And so now Pharaoh repeats this. I've heard you've got this great gift for interpreting. This would, be, this would be a great moment for Joseph to be like, yeah, I am pretty awesome, <laughs> right? Like I'm pretty good at interpreting dreams. But listen to what he says. In verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me, God will give. It is not in me, God will give. Now it comes out a little different in all the English translations, but that's a great little phrase to memorize. I think that would be really helpful for you and for me to just memorize that little half of a verse. It's not in me, God will give. It's not in me, God will give. The Hebrew scholars and the different commentaries I was reading said this is kind of like an interjection. It's kind of like he's just shouting out an exclamation here. Not, Not me. No, it's not me. God will give. God will give the interpretation. It's almost like Joseph is even offended at the idea that he would get the glory that belongs to God and God alone. Do you have that kind of seriousness? We see this with angels in, in the book of Revelation, right? People want to bow down to these angels. They seem to have the presence of God. And they're like, no, 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 don't bow down to me. I'm just a messenger. And that's what God is saying here through Joseph. It's, it's not me, it's God. I don't, I don't do this. God does this. And that's what it means for us to speak for God. We're always pointing away from ourselves to him. It's called humility. It's called glorifying God. Saying, God is beautiful. God is weighty. God is great. I'm, I'm just thankful for his grace. I'm thankful for his goodness to it. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, is to recognize that humility. This, this appears three different places in the Bible, in Proverbs chapter 3, and then in James chapter 5, and then also in uh, 1 Peter 5, or James 4 and 1 Peter 5. This phrase, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In some translations of Proverbs, it's he opposes the mocker, but gives grace to the humble. But in the New Testament sections, it's God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
So this is repeated three times in our Bibles. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you believe that? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. One of the great stories of God opposing the proud is a parallel story to this one in the book of Daniel. Any of you familiar with the stories from the book of Daniel? A lot of parallels to this story, right? Because we've got a Hebrew that's an assistant to the world's greatest emperor. So we've got Joseph with the Pharaoh in Egypt. And then a Daniel story, much later in history, we've got Daniel as an assistant to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 is like walking around saying, man, I am awesome. I am so great. Look at everything that I've built. And Nebuchadnezzar is just going on and on about how great he is and all the things he's done. And the crazy thing is he's already been warned. He already had a weird dream that Daniel interpreted and he warned him about his pride being opposed. But anyway, he's walking around saying how proud he is, how great he is, everything that he's done. And God basically just throws him outside, makes him lose his mind, and he's crawling around on the ground like an animal. Like strips his clothes off, he's eating grass, he lets his fingernails grow all long, lets his hair grow out, and he's living like a beast. There's an ancient picture. This is fine art, so hopefully it doesn't offend you, but this is a picture of, I think this is by Blake. I can't remember who, who painted this. But this is Nebuchadnezzar just crawling on the ground like a beast and God opposes the proud and God broke him. What's amazing is then after this period of brokenness, Nebuchadnezzar was able then himself to speak up and say, it's God. God is great. God is the true God. And so that's what we see taking place here in Genesis as well. Joseph answered, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Pharaoh retells the dream again. I'm not going to read it all over again. It's basically the same, the same story, the same dreams, these double dreams about the plump being eaten by the sickly and skinny stuff, right? And we had cows and, and grains. And so we have some themes and we'll, we'll interpret those next week or we'll let God interpret it through Joseph next week. We'll look at the rest of that story. The only difference in the stories that commentators point out is that Pharaoh seems to add kind of more anguish in his telling this time. He adds little phrases like, it was the grossest, you know, skinniest cow I've ever seen. You know, he kind of adds a little color commentary to it. But it's basically the same telling of these dreams. Uh, and then verse 24, he says, and I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. No one could explain it to me. These guys have trained. They've gone to school. They, they should know how to do this, but they can't do it. God in his sovereign grace is withholding from these trained men the ability to interpret these dreams. And he's giving that now to Joseph. And Joseph says in verse 25, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. So verse 16, verse 25, we get the picture. God is speaking. God is speaking. And we also believe we have a God who speaks. We have a God who speaks through prophets in the Old Testament, through apostles in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 1 says, in these last days, he is speaking through his son. Jesus is the final word. So if you get confused by what the prophets say in the Old Testament and you're a little sidetracked by what the apostles might be saying in the New Testament, look at Jesus. Hebrews 1 says, he is the final word. 
Jesus says in, in John 14 that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Look at Jesus. If you're confused about who God is, look at Jesus. In Jesus, we see God speaking to us. We see that God is holy and he can't tolerate sin and he takes sin so seriously that he paid the price for your sin and for my sin himself. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He, he took our sin upon himself on the cross. Jesus lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live. He walked with love and justice and confidence and noticed people and cared for people the way that we're supposed to. He lived that human life that humans were made for. And then he died a sacrificial death. He took your place and he took my place on the cross. And then he rose from the dead, proving that he is Lord of the universe, proving that he's conquered sin and death once and for all. And so when you see Jesus, you see that God is speaking. And it reminds us, again, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. A Jesus dying on the cross is not a salvation for the proud. It's a salvation for the humble. Because the proud look at the cross and say, I don't need that. I'm good enough on my own. Or I don't believe in that. I'm just going to pursue pleasure without God. But the humble say, God, I'm groaning and I'm longing and I need you. Will you save me? And we see that God has revealed himself as, as the God who gives grace. And we see this played out again in beautiful ways in these Joseph stories. So you may, might be like me. I Often when I'm enduring a long, difficult season, I start to feel like I'm faltering a little bit, right? Maybe you feel that way, like, I don't know. I don't know if I can be Joseph. I don't know if I can, like, hang in there and be as faithful as Joseph was. And I want to encourage you and remind you that our own failures and our own slipping steps remind us of our need. And so, yeah, we, we may not be faithful enough but we stay prepared by looking to God's faithfulness. Ultimately, we, we turn to Him, recognizing that we, we can't on our own stay prepared. And so in 1 Peter, it's said this way. In 1 Peter chapter 1, prepare your minds for action. Some of the translations are, gird up the loins of your minds, right? It's like old-fashioned uh, athletic wear talk there. It's like... Strap on your track uniform, right? Put on your uh, compression shorts, whatever you wear. I don't know. Whatever you wear when you go lift, right? Put on the belt. Put on the gloves. Whatever it is you need, strap, strap it on. Get ready. And he's saying, prepare this way, though. Pay attention to how. How do you prepare? How do you stay prepared? First Peter 1 says, prepare your minds this way. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How do we ultimately stay prepared? We look to him. Set your hope fully on the grace that's going to be revealed in Jesus. Because none of us have enough preparation within us. We, we don't have it in here. We look out there and we see it in Jesus. Look to him and you will stay prepared. We pray for us. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've shown grace to us in Jesus. Help us to fix our minds on you, to stay focused fully on the hope that we have in you, on the grace that you've given us in Christ. And we pray that through that, that we would be prepared. We'd be like the servant that loves the other servants instead of taking advantage. We'd be like the wedding planner that, that wants to celebrate you instead of forgetting you. We'd be like the investor that spends 
what we have for your glory because we know you are generous. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.